Welcome to the Courageous Entrepreneur Show. This is the show that shares information and inspiration to help you break free from self-doubt, limiting beliefs, and disempowering patterns, and break through to create the thriving, successful business you dream of and deserve. I'm your host, Winnie Anderson. I interview entrepreneurs who've overcome amazing challenges to create success on their terms and experts who share insight and practical information that can help you get past your blocks and move forward with courage, confidence, and clarity. The show is available on both video and audio formats on a variety of platforms, including iTunes, iHeartRadio, in the Google Play Store, on YouTube, and on my website at winnieanderson.com. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll share the show with others, and I hope you'll decide to join my community. You can become a fan of the show on my website at winnieanderson.com fans. When you do, you'll get episodes delivered right to your inbox, along with information, tips, and resources to help you cons- consistently move forward with courage, confidence, and clarity, so you position and pre-sell yourself as the unique solution provider you are, and ultimately, profit from your expertise and build a business in alignment with your faith, beliefs, and values. This this week's guest has an amazing story from rags to riches to rags and back to riches. Trevor Crane is a speaker, advisor, and a 10-time number one best-selling author. That's right, I said 10 times. He's also the founder of Epic Author Publishing. His special passion is helping service-based businesses, including consultants, coaches, authors, and speakers, take their businesses to the next level, no matter how successful they already are. Trevor grew up poor, the son of a horseshoer in Phoenix, Arizona. He went on to live his dream of entrepreneurial success, building a multi-million dollar business with a partner and 12 employees. And in 2009, he lost it all. He since rebuilt his life, is back earning millions, and today lives a life without limits with his fabulous wife, Robin, and their daughter. Listen in as Trevor shares the thinking patterns that led to his downfall, the simple changes that helped him start to climb back, adjustments he continued to make that helped him grow personally and professionally, and eventually 10x his income, how he got off of what he calls the emotional roller coaster of sales, the missing ingredient that's often left out of positive thinking, the mind shift that helps develop the patience and clarity to spot the prize buried inside a pile of crap, the big questions you have to ask yourself, how to identify fears and move past them, and some tips to avoid giving too much information to prospective clients so it's actually easier for them to say yes to working with you. As always, listen all the way to the end where I'll share your reflection exercise and action step for this episode. All right, so welcome, Trevor. I'm so glad to have you here today. I'm excited to be here. In the few years that we've known each other, you know, I always thought of you as this uber successful independent professional. I know that you have a publishing company that you help people publish their books, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But apparently, you haven't always been the picture of success that we tend to see today. So no, don't don't tell anybody that. Don't, I want <laughs> right, I want to put off one persona, and nobody needs to know about any of my challenges. So we're uh, we're we're swearing you guys all to, to secrecy. Then <laughs> um, I know you had a pretty 
pretty big fall, though. So let's, you know, take you back in the Wayback Machine. And can you tell us about that? Where were you? How did you lose what mm. you lost? And then we're going to get back into then how did you get it back? So where were you and how did you have this big loss? So I didn't – so I, I want to make sure I answer this because it's – I, I want to go – it's really great to hear that you think of the, uh, I, I didn't even know that I had this really <laughs> uber successful persona. Very amazing. Growing up, I was a kid in Arizona where my dad was a horseshoer and we struggled to get by. And my biggest fear was that I would never amount to anything. And, uh, and that, yeah, that was basically it. And so when I did start to have some successes in business and it took me a while, many challenges along the way, but I found, you know, my myself in like 2005, 2006, and I thought I had it all. Man, I was making great money. What I thought was great money was millions of dollars. Wow. And then uh, I was in love with a woman, and we, we, and I, and I had this vision. I went to an event one time, and I'm like, I had this vision of having a family, and it was interesting because I created the baby stuff before I did the perfect woman. So it just so happened that we had a love child, but this was like, I was a, you know, the, we had this conversation of, I think I'm pregnant. And I wasn't the typical guy that was like, Oh no, what am I going to do? And I was like, I just was nothing but elated. And I was in love with the woman and, and we, everything was going great. And in 2007, she was born into my hands. My, my daughter was born into my hands literally in my backyard. I lived in West Palm Beach, Florida in a jacuzzi and my midwife was on the way to the house. And I thought every, I mean, it was like a perfect storm of awesome. Like I didn't want any help. Like I had, I had visualized <laughs> water births and whatnot. And my baby was born into my hands. And the next year or two, I thought would be the best of my life. And I thought I was at the top of my game with business and everything. In 2009, I had lost everything, and I remember a time when I was sitting in a rental car uh, outside my house that had just foreclosed, I just foreclosed on. All my vehicles had been repossessed. The woman I was in love with left me. Um, I had to file a bankruptcy and foreclose on everything, and the reason I was in my car is that it was in Florida in the summer. July of uh, probably 2008, maybe, and I was uh, in the car because that was the only place I had air conditioning, and the house, I was selling everything out of the house that I could, like the refrigerator, <laughs> literally plants from the backyard I sold. Uh, I said, come dig up my palm tree or whatnot. I, I found myself in a position where my, my sense of self-worth and net worth were so closely ingrained. And I didn't think that was me, but I was about, I thought I was the biggest loser on the planet having lost everything. And I don't know if you know this, but when you don't have a house, a place to live, they call that homeless. Although I was still pretty positive at that time, I called myself home free. <laughs> so um, at the lowest of the low though, I didn't have a place to live and I stayed at friends' houses. I went to stay at one friend's house and he put me up in Arizona. Another one, which was kind of sexy, it was in Hawaii. So everybody thought that I was still putting out the persona of awesomeness. Right. But it wasn't so awesome to have to stay. My friend put me up at his parents' house, and they, ki they kicked her young, their youngest daughter out of their room 
and I found myself in a lime green room. That's what color she painted it. Just in my late thirties, just feeling like the biggest loser on the planet. Uh, so yeah, that happened. Wow. Wow. So was this a, it, it, you were self-employed at that time and you were, your business crashed. Is that what happened? Yeah, I mean, through a series of bad decisions, I would love to say, I would love to blame someone else. And for a while, I did. I had plenty of people to blame. Um, I owned my own business and I had about 12 employees at one point and we were doing really well. And then ultimately that business collapsed. It collapsed because of a miscommunication and bad communication with the business partner. So as much as I was grumpy at him for, I thought, lying and cheating and stealing, and we had a lawsuit and all these things involved, and I had a lot of blame at that time, um, I had to, it took me a while to take the personal, yeah. to realize that I was responsible for that relationship and that I had caused those things to happen. I had put them in play. I didn't like the guy anymore, and so I didn't talk to him very much, and I didn't communicate with him well just because I didn't like him, and so he thought I was stealing or screwing from screwing him so he screwed me instead and then I lost everything so yes it was a business collapse at a time when I know our economy kind of did a tanker as well that coincided with me and this guy having an argument and we fought in the court system until I just I, I when things finally started turning around for that for me was when I looked in the mirror and I took responsibility instead of blaming everyone else. And yeah, that's where it happened. Well, that, that's really powerful. And I applaud you for being able to admit that. I know that that's a process to work through, right? So was there something that you did that helped you reach that point where you recognized I was as, at least as much at fault as the other person and I accept responsibility or was this a gradual aha that you came Mm -hmm. to? So I made a series of bad decisions and mistakes. So I thought I was, if you'd asked me at any point in that process, I I was doing the best I could with the resources I had and I was making the best decisions I could. I think what finally came to what, what, what started the shift for me was meaning. So it's my definition of terms. So I had, my father had first rec, um, asked me, he suggested a bankruptcy and I was so appalled by the meaning, the meaning that I had associated to it was yeah. that I was a liar, that I was a loser and a lot of other yucky things. And so I was so anti that because I did that's not in line with my identity that it took me a while to like I was so angry that he even mentioned it because I'm not that guy and then anybody who is that guy must be worth nothing must be a loser so I I recognized uh, that I had this really like emotional response to the to the to the term not yeah. just, just, just like it wasn't even rational. Like I thought I was going to die. Like it was so opposed mm-hmm. to me. So I was like, that was a little weird. Like, so I asked the question, what else could this mean? And I needed to do that for basic survival. Like yeah. I, I don't deal that well with stress. Like I get stressed and I get, I get angry. Like I don't necessarily get defensive. Don't make 
<laughs> almost on him defensive right now. What are you saying? No, but I, I get, I get, I get, uh, first of all, I, I like to take responsibility for things because I've found that, hey, if I mess up, it's just easier to say, whoops, sorry, I'm sorry. But like, but when I, when something attacked my identity, that was the key. So what shifted for me was, in, was redefining the term of what bankruptcy meant. So what else could this mean was a really powerful question. And then once I redefined what a bankruptcy could be, and my first initial thing was it meant that I was a loser. It meant that I'm a quitter. It meant that I'm a thief. I thought I would go to jail. I thought, you know, I didn't know you were not allowed to pay your bills or your mortgage or your car payments or credit cards. Like I had promised to do something and my identity was in line with keeping my word, not with lying and cheating and stealing, which is what I had associated to it. And I thought I needed to redefine it. Now, the interesting thing is there were the stages that I went through to recreate my career and my own self-confidence and different things. That key thing of, of redefining the meaning of things was, was, was typical. Those benchmark shifts helped me throughout my my transformation and there were many but that would be the first one was redefining the meaning of it and bankruptcy i realized like i was said why did bankruptcy exist like maybe could is it possible that somebody is not a liar a loser a cheat and a thief and all these negative associations is it possible that maybe we live in a country where they gave us the the, the, the law allows us to claim a bankruptcy because I, I it was a $2.2 million bankruptcy. And I was like, well, how much money do I have to go make like to start over from scratch to just start to get back to zero? And it didn't make sense. Like the negative repercussions of that, I was like, this is going to last over a decade. Like how can I possibly? Right. And then the, the interest rates were doubling and quadrupling the debt. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. So right. I redefined it to mean something that it was a, an opportunity for a fresh start. That's, and that it I think didn't that's necessarily great. mean I was a loser. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And uh, again, I applaud you for admitting that. And I think that we forget that we carry these definitions around, right, in our head, and that so much is tied to our self-identity and our self-worth. And as I listened to you talk about that, I thought about, when um, I was given my diagnosis of you have brain damage and I had an insurance representative tell me that, well, you better go apply for disability because you have brain damage. And I was just, I was outraged. I was outraged because I had this image of exactly what you're saying, that I was incapable of doing something that I was damaged and therefore I must be worthless. Mm. I must be unable to move forward. I'm, I, I have no hope at this point and refused to apply for disability because I refused to acknowledge that I was disabled. Now, on the one hand, you might think, well, way to go and be positive and optimistic, but then Exactly what you're saying, a, a, a bankruptcy is an opportunity to start over. Disability wasn't permanent. It would have been a way for me to have some financial relief because I literally could not work anymore. Mm. But I cut that off because I refused to apply because I would not call myself or have myself be labeled disabled. 
Well, and so if you if we if we decide we're always make answer, asking and answering these two questions, what right. does this mean mm-hmm. and what am I going to do? And based on the first, it affects the second. So you made certain choices. I mean, when my my the, my daughter was taken away from me and her mom left the state, that was a result of a series of decisions that I had made. I wasn't happy with her. I wanted to blame her. I had had a lot of money and now I didn't. So I had a story about what that was all about. And, and, but those are the two key decisions that I think we get to make. We're, we're constantly asking and answering all the time. And when you shift one, you shift the other. Yes. Yeah. Amen. I, I so wholeheartedly agree with you. So then, okay, you, you declared bankruptcy, you dealt with these emotional issues, and you were somehow able to start over again. What, so what opportunity did you take? I mean, did you go back to the business that you had first run and decided, well, I'm going to make different choices? Or did you go in a different path? How did you make this sense and, and move forward? So I decided this whole thing of redefining meaning mm-hmm. is goes really deep for me. So I developed um, the belief that I could redefine other other terms in my life. Like when, when something was bad, you know, let's say you do a sales call because I had to do sales calls. I had to go out and start my new business and try to sell myself and my services to someone else for something, whatever it was. And if I got a yes, I was happy. And if I got a no, I was sad. And I'm like, what a freaking ridiculous roller coaster. So what if I could re, I could define, I could re create the meaning of different terms. So what happened is I programmed myself to see the challenges as, as opportunities to celebrate. And so I've, I developed a primary question and I learned the term primary question that Tony Robbins teaches when you go to some of his events. And he says uh, that we're all asking and answering certain primary questions in our life all the time, like these preconceived things that we believe are just the rules of the universe, but actually there's something that we create and they're unique for everyone and that you could recreate what that term was. Now, my old primary question was when I first learned about this from Tony was how can I have more? And the way that you test a primary question is to know whether or not, if, if not being able to meet the desire of the primary question, in this case, how can I have more? The way that you know this is your primary question is what would happen if you can't get the result of this primary question you have? And the the and if it's like, oh, and it's no big deal, that's probably not your primary question. For in this case, it was it it in order to know that it's your primary question, it's that it stimulates like a fear of like loss that's massive, like I'm gonna die without having to accomplish this. Like the that knee-jerk reaction, like, well, I always have more. And like, you know, you don't even really answer the question. You're just like, no, because this is an absolute. I have to find a way to have more. If I don't, what would happen? (gasps) And I would lose my stuff. Like I couldn't handle it. Like I always have to find more because I was, I had been raised or learned that if you achieve, you get love and success and you're worthy. So not getting more meant that I couldn't win and that I was a loser and like, and it was like death. And so 
when I realized that was a that this was something I could choose, I chose to pick a new primary question, and it became, "What's the gift?" So regardless of what happened, it was, "What's the gift?" And a buddy of mine and I came up. We always would say, "Like, what's awesome?" So something bad would happen, and we would. Something bad would literally, like we'd forget something, like a video camera, and we needed to do a video camera shoot. Be like, you know what's awesome? I just forgot my video camera. And so I truly reprogrammed my mind. And like I was doing a video, I'm in my new house right now, and just recently, I uh, we had the hurricane and some rain damage that actually came before the hurricane, but whatnot. But my ceiling is collapsing in the other room, and I just moved into my new house. Now, people were watching the videos that I was doing about this, and I'm smiling and laughing about the ceiling caving in. Now, I'm still a little bit grumpy that this is something I got to deal with, but truly, I see the good and the opportunity in things, and I do my best to embrace the gift in the challenges. And so, I know that's not specific here, but it is key because I started shifting not just the meaning of a bankruptcy, but the meaning of everything that happened in my life. So, what this subsequently meant is that everything that came up was made me happy. Now, there's a dark side of awesome. <laughs> and the dark side of awesome, you know, like the, in, in, in Star Wars, like the dark side. The dark side of awesome is that everything's awesome. And then sometimes you don't get off your A, go ahead and do something. And so, uh, so there was a little bit of a challenge there where I had, you actually have to get into new types of action because I truly, my wife doesn't like this very much, um, by the way. Now, when, when something goes wrong or she's sad, like I smile and laugh oftentimes, not the best time to celebrate always, but I truly see a lot of challenges as something that like lights me up. And I'll answer more of your question about how I shifted here, but this one is key. And I wanted my first book to be about it. It is, it is focused on the question, what's the gift? Because I was the happiest bankrupt dude you ever would have met. I'm not saying I didn't cry and, and feel worthless and have all the challenges, and I did. But I was a pretty positive dude during the time that I was going through my, uh, my worst times. Awesome. And yeah, I, I know I had people ask me questions relating to that. You know, how can you manage to function this way? And how can you be so happy? And well, what's my option? <laughs> what's the other side if I don't do this? So yeah, we're sense-making entities. And, and this, for me too, was my way of managing this, that I knew there must be an answer and a reason for why this happened. All right, what is it? I'm ready. I'm open. Let, let me have it. It wasn't necessarily pleasant and not every day was full of roses and rainbows and unicorns, as you say, but over time you do. You recondition the brain and that I, th I think it's a tremendously important for success period in life. Well, when we're given a gift, let's say that it's something precious you know, say it's a diamond. This isn't a diamond ring, but let's just say that it is. And it's covered with stuff, let's say cow, cow manure. Well, you know, you could just say, I don't want that anymore. I'm going to throw away the whole bundle of cow manure and the right. diamond out at the same time. 
but it's up to us to go through that. Oftentimes, the, the gift is there. It doesn't, doesn't mean that it's not. We just have to see through it as fast as possible, like wade into it. And I'd rather jump into the challenge than, than like pretend it's not there, which used to be a pattern of mine, fight that it's there, which used to be a pattern of mine, complain about the pile of manure that I got to deal with right now, which used to be a pattern of mine. And now I just shift as fast as possible to just jumping into the challenge and experiencing it. In fact, I wrote up on my wall here just just today, like what's the what's a big mistake that I can go make today that's going to move me? A big embarrassing mistake because that's my fear is that I'm going to be embarrassed by something big that I do and I'm going to and then nobody's going to like me and I'm going to fail. And I'm like, you know what? Hold on. What if I was to say? What big embarrassing mistake could I go make today that's going to move me closer to my dreams, is going to help more people, is going to change a variety of positive things, is going to move me closer? What could I do that's going to be do that so that I'm not scared anymore and I act in spite of, in spite of fear? Right. So, yeah, so that the, the beginning was meaning. And then what truly got me out of it, um, let me see. I remember one, when, I was, when I was digging my way out and it was in a new career. Uh, and it was because I wanted to do something that I was passionate about. The businesses that I had created the most success at pre-bankruptcy weren't things that I loved necessarily. They were things I did for money. Okay. And I got into them because it seemed like it was the right thing to do. And I found a mentor to help me. Um, and mentoring, by the way, was one of the absolute strategies to my success. I mean, successes come from two places, either mistakes or mentors. Mm-hmm. And had I picked the right mentor during my challenging times, you know, then it would have massively accelerated my success because I would have not made all those mistakes. In fact, now being a mentor that helps people, I help people write best-selling books. I work with business owners and coaches to help them create successes. Oftentimes, while I am telling them the right path, I'd say seven out of 10 times, I'm telling them to stop doing the wrong thing, stop making the mistake and start doing the right thing. And and typically people know some of the right things to do, but they need to stop doing the wrong thing. So mentoring, so meaning is one, Mm -hmm. the shifted. Two is finding a mentor, but what shifted for me was again, pain. So I was trying to sell my services as a, as a coach and consultant to people, and I met with 20 people in a row who needed my help, asked for my help, they wanted me, they liked me, they trusted me, they paid a little bit of money for my advice, and I was giving them advice, and I said, would you like my help to help you implement these changes? And they all said, yeah, kind of, 20 sales in a row, I didn't make a sale. And I was feeling really bad again. I, I was at a coffee shop, and I remember the woman was all happy at the end of our meeting, and she hugged me and said, thank you so much. I'm going to do what you just said, and she's not going to buy my program, but she's going to leave. And I went back to my car and in the parking garage, and I sat there, and I cried. And I cried because I knew she was screwed without my help. I knew that she was going to go repeat the same patterns. I had done, I'd made all the same mistakes she was going to go out and make and she didn't have me there for help and I knew she needed my help and I didn't give her permission and I wanted to blame her but the truth was is the only person that kept showing up at all these meetings was me and it wasn't the person I was talking to and so I had to again embrace a fear. See, 
what I, I was so focused on helping that I would give too much information. I didn't know this at the time in the car. I, I had to figure this out. But it wasn't until I was under excruciating personal pain and I had to, I even chose to do this, Winnie, I emphasized the pain. I took it as even more than it, I, I said, okay, hold on, what's going on here? What does it feel like? It felt like I punched her in the stomach. Now, I would never do that. Could you imagine meeting someone, like a woman who wants your help, and punch her in the stomach? But that's what I felt like I did. And when I realized if that's what I was doing and that's my belief, then I needed to dramatically shift. And so I went back to my wife and to another mentor, and I said, what do I need to change? Here's my sales process. Um, hold on, I'm going to use another prop. This is another one of my books. This is the, the lesson I learned became, this was my first book. This book became a best-selling book. This book helped me 10x my income and the distinction, the one distinction, I'll tell you now if you guys want it, but the one distinction that I made that shifted everything that helped me get high-paying clients and help other people get high-paying clients, I put in this book and it changed everything and it wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't have made the discovery. I wouldn't have figured out what would set me free if I hadn't have gone through that pain, through that pressure cooker of finally looking in the mirror and saying, do the one thing I didn't want to do during my conversations with clients. And it shifted everything for me. And then we learned how to leverage books to 10x our income. Right. This wasn't the only thing that did it. It was a combination of things. And now that's what I'm excited about and what I mentor people with. Right. But the shift was that. like for and And... In, I think meaning is key, mentors are key, and then if we can create the meaning, uh, recreate the meaning that will let us off the hook maybe when we're being harsher on ourselves when, than we need to be and then picking the meaning that actually is appropriate, but then also deciding to take the right actions and hire the right people and get the right help. So I want to make sure that I turn this over to you because I know I rant a lot and see what other yeah. questions. No, that's uh, I think that's I'm amening everything you're saying. But give us give us one big tip from that great book so we, you can incent people to go and check out the rest. What's the one okay. big takeaway then that really helped you start getting on the path from a concrete uh, foundation? Because I can tell you that. As we start writing our brains and we decide, okay, I'm you know, my own worst enemy in some ways, I'm in my way, I'm going to change my thinking, I'm going to be more optimistic, I'm going to not put, I'm going to detach from the outcome and not put my self-worth on whether or not that person says yes. There's still like this thing that we think we're missing that we're not doing. So what, what would be that one thing from that book, especially that somebody could grab and go, oh, okay, that's great. Now I'm going to go get the rest of the book and get the rest of his great tips. So I'm going to give, um, I'm going to answer that question, but I'm going to share one more thing because you mentioned, you, you just described um, a, something that people are going through mm -hmm. when they're trying to break through. And there's, there's an anchor that we carry with around with us. And Oftentimes, the person looking back at us in the mirror when you're brushing your teeth is our own worst enemy, that the, the little voice sometimes, but the secondary one is that our associations are sometimes our incarcerations. And I didn't, I just recently heard that because it kind of rhymed and it got my attention, but it's that the people we hang out with are the people we become. 
or that there, we, we rise to the level of the people that we surround ourselves with. And that means that as much as they might pull you forward and you can love them, they're also holding you back. That's why finding new mentors is right now one of my biggest goals, even more than trying to get new clients. Like getting new clients is great. I can't wait to help somebody. But the next mentor is going to take me to the next level. So that's what I aspire to be for others. And I think that's key because that's a simple one. You, who you hang out with. My grandfather passed away. And before he died at 92, he wrote me his last letter, which became a book. Do you get a theme? I can pull out the book right there to it, but I don't want to stand up again and then pull and have the whole the bookshelf coming down. But I ended up writing a book about his lessons. Like while he was on his deathbed, I said, what are your most favorite memories? What were your magic moments of your life? And as he did that, I recognized a pattern with all of those. And it was three things. It was, it was do things you're passionate about, like the secret to a quality life, which is what started my podcast, Greatness Quest, when I finally figured this out from my grandfather. And when he was looking at his regrets and he was looking at the things that he loved, I figured these three things out. And it's people, presence, and passion people, presence, and passion. So passion, do things you love. And all my grandfather's favorite memories that he looked back on, he was always doing things he was passionate about. He was fired up about. He wasn't doing stuff that sucked. Like that's typically what I do. I work with business owners. They should stop doing all the stuff that sucks so they can start doing more of the stuff that they love. They get a very simple thing. That's what I help people with. Do stuff you're passionate about. Hang out with the right people. Not one of my grandfather's memories was, of well, his amazing memories, was where he's hanging out with people who sucked, people who he didn't like. He was hanging out with people who lit him up. He was hanging out with his family. He was hanging out with great friends. He was hanging out with people that lifted him and challenged him. We get right into mentors again. And then the, the third one is presence. And I know this isn't exactly what you asked, and it's not the tip from this book, but I'll give that in a second. Presence meaning that you're grateful for the moment that you're in and you're present in a conversation and you're not wishing you were somewhere else. You're not with your kids thinking you're doing something else. None of my grandfather's favorite memories were ones where he was like in it, wishing he was doing something else, thinking that he should rather be reading. He should rather be at that event. He should rather be making love to his wife. He should rather none of that. He was present in the moment, experiencing it, and he proved it to me because he took the last trip he ever made in 2011, 11, 11, 11, actually, I married my wife. And I was about a month before my 40th birthday. So I was 39 years old. My grandfather was going to, had enough money and energy to take one trip. And he had dreamed of going home uh, to Wyoming where he'd grown up as a boy and he wanted to go fishing. Instead of doing that, he took his one trip and he came to my wedding. Oh. His gift wasn't to send me a present. His gift was his presence. Mm-hmm. And he had to pay for a nurse. I didn't understand the challenges that he had to go through to get, to get there, but my four-year-old daughter was able to crawl around, crawl around on him and meet her great-grandfather. And we have these amazing pictures. And it was this beautiful experience because he proved that presence was what was most important. So that was just a life lesson here, but also I think something that it was just relevant to books because I'm into books and helping people write them and make a difference and change the world. The one thing that I learned going back to the story of the woman that I punched in the stomach figuratively, (laughs) I didn't actually do that, um, is that I overpacked her backpack. So here's what happened. My fear was my, the thing I didn't want to do was a let 
another human being that I was talking to experience pain. I don't like pain. It, may, it, it makes me feel bad, especially when I know someone else that is there and I'm like, I could help you. And so what I would do is when my client that I'd be talking to would say, Trevor, this is why I need your help and this is you know, why I might want to buy from you right now, I would not want them to spend any emotional energy towards something that made them upset, was a focus on something they couldn't happen. I would immediately heal that and I would say, that's handled. That problem right there that you think is gigantic, no problem. It's not a problem. Don't focus on that. Let's focus on what you want. It'll be amazing. You know, we're going to go ahead and do, do this is going to be amazing. What do you want? And I would shift everything from their problem on to this phenomenal result. And, and then I'm an inspiring guy. You know, okay, hey, you mean people, some people don't like Trevor, but those who do, you know, end up getting caught up and they're like, oh, this is exciting. I can do it. I can do it. And so I give them tips after tip, after tip, after tip. Notice I'm doing it on this session. You're like, Trevor, I just asked one question. You're giving me the three P's, people, presence, passion. You're giving me meaning. Then you're giving me this other thing. You're giving me this other thing. Like, I can't help it. I like to give, give, give. But when I was 21 years old, I, was, uh, I got out of college and I took a world trip. I bought, a, I bought a, a plane ticket from Arizona to Australia. And I was so excited. My family gave me a backpack and I loaded it and it was, it had the fun little packs and buttons and straps and I, and I loaded all my stuff in that backpack and I used every available space and I walked it around my apartment. I'm like, I can handle this. This is going to be great. I flew from Arizona to Los Angeles. I was at the LAX airport in the domestic terminal. I had to walk to the international terminal. The walk between the domestic terminal and the international terminal, I had to stop, put my backpack down, and start throwing stuff away because I couldn't make it. I couldn't walk from the, in, from the domestic to the international terminal because I'd overpacked my backpack. What I was doing to my clients is the same thing. I was giving them in the initial consultation, the initial conversation, so much information that it overpacked them. They were oversatiated. They'd had enough chocolate. They're like, dude, dude, I've had enough. Thank you. You've, I'm full. There ain't no way I can take more from you. And, they, and that's what I was doing. So the shift was I had to allow people to experience their own pain and fears and really associate to that. And I teach in my book how you can, I'll give everybody this as, as another tip, overpack your backpack or make it really simple, okay? Ask, align, associate. What I taught people after I learned this lesson, I teach in this book, how do you ask great questions and then instead of judging people or solving all of their problems, align with them so that you can see it from their perspective. You ever like look up in the sky and you're pointing at a star and nobody can see it and you're like trying to understand from a spouse or your kid, especially, and they're like pointing up and they're like, you see that? And they're like pointing at something and you're like, I don't see, what, what are you talking about? And then you get the line of it and you align with it and you like get your eyeball right up their arm and you're like, oh, that light, that one there? Oh, that's the sewer light. That's not the Big Dipper. That's not anything else. But now, oh, I see it from your perspective. So, Ask questions, align with people so you can see it from their perspective, and then associate. Allow your client, not you, your client to associate to the feelings 
of how it really feels to not have what they want of whatever that problem is, the challenge that they're having, or the thing that they really want. Like, what does it feel like? I know that I am frustrated, angry, not thrilled. I want, I want to make whatever it is that I want in my life that I don't have, I am hungry for it. I want it. And if I don't associate to that, I don't get out of bed. I certainly won't make a buying decision. So it's important to allow that we as people who are out there trying to help people, we're superheroes, right? I'd open, I tear open my shirt. Dun, 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 dun. I tear open my shirt if I had snaps, but I don't want to break. I always go and uh, sew on buttons. That's not my thing. But we're looking for people we can help. And the way you do that is ask great questions. Mm-hmm. Align with them. Don't judge them, but see it from their perspective. And then allow them permission to just experience the emotions that they associate to it. If you don't give people the space to do that, they're not going to choose to buy from you. And then the last thing is that you ask for a decision. Like if, if, are they ready? Like you want to work with me or not? And sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're like, dude, I, I don't want it that bad. You know, I'm going to just go back to sleep. You know, I'm going to go do whatever I've been doing because I don't trust you or I don't want that enough or whatever the deal is. So that's what I learned from this book. That's actually not the book I'm even trying to give away today as a gift to everybody. But, uh, but that's the one tip from that book. Ooh, that was awesome. a lot more than that one tip. That was a lot more, and thank you for that. Yeah, I, I find that often, you know, not that we can't deliver a great enrollment conversation and make it easy for people to say yes, and we know all of those textbook things, but sometimes the person is not ready to say yes to themselves and the opportunity that you're presenting. I mean, that's scary for them to make that change, whatever that experience that transformation is to leave those people behind that they've been attached to or whatever they've been conditioned to so yeah I I think well said great information and and thanks so much for sharing all those great tips so we know now that you you know you you're back on your feet things are going well you have a, a publishing company right you help people produce their books you are a book coach to a degree right so why don't you fill us in on what you are doing now and how Mm. folks can learn more and connect with you. Okay. So I, um, typically I work with business owners, Mm -hmm. coaches, speakers, consultants who have the challenge of generating consistent leads, guessing in their marketing, not being consistent with their income, people who want to raise their fees, get more speaking gigs, have more marketing, build a bigger brand. And I work with my clients to help them write a best-selling book in 90 days or less, go from blank page to bestseller, how to turn it into your most powerful marketing tool and how to make more money with it. And as my gift to everybody, I will ship you a physical copy of my new book and you're going to get something just like this. I've got, I've got a few, made a few of these that I've got left. I'm going to open it for you. Your name will be on the outside of this. And my book is called Big Money. Big money with your book without selling a single copy. And I help my clients make more money, meet your mission, the vision and the mission behind why you'd want to have a book anyway. Um, And I help you do that today, not after you get your book done, but during the process. And it begins today by making a declaration that you're going to write a book. So when you get my new book, big money with your book and you tear it open and it'll have your name on it. And when you come to my event, I will go ahead and give you 
I'll sign this for you because I'm giving away what you're going to get in this thing. Check this out. I've got goodies. <gasps> you're going to get a golden ticket. Do you remember Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? I do. You're going to get a golden ticket. And it's good for you and a guest to come to the gates of, of the Epic Author Summit. And as long as I have books with this inside of it, you're going to get this as a gift. Go to big, uh, epicauthor.com forward slash big money book. Okay. Forward slash big money book. This is big money with your book, and in small font there it says, without selling a single copy. And so you get two tickets. This is a $3,500 event. I'm giving tickets away only for this period of time. And depending on when you get this book, you'll still be able to get the book for free. I'll ship it to you, like I said. Even if you don't get the free seat, you're still going to get a huge discount and an awesome bonus that will come with this always. No matter when you get this video, you should go ahead and check it out or register for seats as soon as possible. I think there's one more thing you get in here. Oh, check this out. You get a bookmark. It actually awesome. promotes two things on here that are kind of cool. It talks about Epic Author Summit and gives you some tips about how you can write a great book fast and how you can leverage that in your most powerful marketing tool. I believe everyone should have a book. I believe so, so much that my seven-year-old daughter – when my daughter was seven, she wrote her first book called The Three Ninja Kitties. Oh. I also believe that there is a business behind every book. So my daughter, I'll just grab this one. My daughter's second book is called Kitty Wars. She's actually <laughs> published nine books that have all become bestsellers, and she has a business behind her books. She's in the middle of building her sex, six, own six-figure business behind her books. Awesome. She told me, Daddy, I don't want to do all the pictures like I did in the first book because she did all the art for that for that one. She said I want to do a movie, so we made that's my daughter and a couple of her friends, <laughs> and, and the three ninja kitties went to basically fight Dog Vader and a, and a whole bunch of Imperial oh, dog yeah. poopers <laughs> when they went to fight Kitty Wars. So if I can help my daughter build a book and a business behind those books about something fun that she's passionate about. I did it so I could prove to people that everybody has a gift to give. And here's the thing. Every moment that goes by while you are not writing your book and not publishing it is a moment. It's another day. It's another week. It's another month. It's another year that you're holding back your gifts and not being able to give those to the world. Now that I have these books, I get to give them away. The, the business is not the book. This book is not my business. I'm giving it to you for free. How do I make money? Because I get high-paying clients on the back end of my books. My books are the beginning. My books are step one. Even the book that's a passion project around what helped me survive during the time that I was going through my bankruptcy, my business is not the book. If you want to get one of my books for free, go to trevorcrane.com, and I'll probably be giving away my books for free because the business is the mission behind it that's much bigger. And if you don't know yours yet, then let me help you because you, your message matters. Whether you're a great father, a great mother, a great son, a great friend, a great daughter, uh, whatever it is, you, you are out there and you've created something phenomenal in your life. I don't care what your challenges that you've gone through. It's time for you to get your message out there to the world. The biggest search engine on the planet for people who want to buy stuff is Amazon and your book is not there if you don't have one yet. And the fear is that you need to go write it silently on your own 
and that's that's the worst thing you can do. You want to find a mentor to help you. And if you want to get my book, I will not only teach you how to make big money with it starting today. And I have a lot of case studies where I have clients to help in the first 30 days go out and make a ton of money before they write their book, okay? Because it's big money with your book without selling a single copy. But every day that you're not doing it, you're punching someone in the stomach. There's someone out there who needs your help. They're searching for problems they want solved that you could solve, but you haven't figured out how to put it on paper and how to publish it. And I know what that feels like because for 20 years, okay, I'm in my 40s now, for over 20 years, I did not publish a book. And even though I was all passionate about this subject, that was not my first book. Neither was it the one from my grandfather and not this and that and the other thing. The, my first book, I put the stuff that I did best into my first book, the stuff that was scariest into my first book, the stuff that people paid me the most money for into my first book, and I gave it all away. Find your gifts in this world and then give them away. And then the, on the backside, we 10 x our income, but the mission behind that was so much bigger than money. And I say we because I did it with my wife. And she's gracing the, this video here on the top right here. That's my wife's new book. She's written four. And people read my wife's book, Make More Money, Help More People, women specifically. And they've never met her before. They'll read her book, call her up and hire her. Like period. Like the book is the That's gift, is, is the gateway. Awesome. Awesome. Trevor, it's been so great having you. Thank you so much for sharing all that great information, for being so honest and transparent. I really appreciate it. And I encourage you to check Trevor's uh, site out, get, get that free book, and we'll have, of course, all the links that he mentioned in the show notes to make it nice and easy for you. But thanks again, Trevor. Thank you so much for having me. All right. I hope you found all that useful. I think that Trevor's story is amazing, and I love how transparent he was. If you liked this episode, I hope you'll share it with your connections. Please leave a great review for it on the platform where you've consumed it, and be sure to subscribe either on that specific platform, like iTunes or iHeartRadio or the Google Play Store, or you can subscribe to the video version on YouTube. When you subscribe at my website at winnieanderson.com fans, You'll receive episodes emailed to you each week along with information, tips, and resources to help you profit from your expertise by positioning and pre-selling yourself as the unique trusted advisor you are. Okay, so your reflection exercise. I think this is one of those episodes that you could listen to a bunch of times and get something different from it every time. But I think the best way to start reflecting is to ask yourself where you are and where you want to be. Are you at the level of success that you want to be? Are you at the ease of cash flow that you want to be? Are you making the impact that you want to be? And anything else that is where you want to be? Then think about where you are in relationship to each of those wannabes. How would life and your business be different if you were at your want-to-be place? How would life be different for your family if you were in your want-to-be place? And how would life be for those you serve if you were in that want-to-be place? So what's keeping you from being there? And like Trevor said, at some point, 
you have to look in the mirror and say, the only reason I'm not where I want to be is me. I'm the common denominator. Now, while you can't take responsibility for how potential clients respond to you, you certainly can take responsibility for the message you share, the process that you use, and how effective your message and processes are. This is all the kind of big thinking that I think is best done with a journal. Treat yourself to a nice one. You can get one from the dollar store for just a few bucks that's a little nicer than a standard spiral-bound notebook, but wherever you are and whatever you have is just fine. Start where you are and use what you got. Okay, so your action step. I love Trevor's big question about what can I do that's embarrassing today? Others that are similar that are also powerful include what can I do that scares me or what can I do to get a no from somebody today? That's one that past guest Dr. Nadia Brown asks. The point being that it takes practice to get comfortable presenting an offer. It takes practice putting yourself out there. So go do one of those things. Do something you think would embarrass you. Invite to a conversation someone you believe wants the solution that you have and then invite them to work with you. And if they say no, all right, well, get past it. Get past the embarrassment. I always say, you know, it's not like I'm going to bump into that person at the grocery store. I'm not going to see them again. If they say yes, start celebrating. And if you want to practice, find yourself a practice partner who will let you practice what you'll say and then give you honest feedback on what you do. You can also find a coach to work with. And as I mentioned, former guest Dr. Nadia Brown, that's something that she does. Now, if you'd like to get help getting clear on your beliefs, which can certainly help you position and pre-sell yourself as the trusted advisor and authority that you are, then visit the show notes for this episode at winnieanderson.com slash Trevor and get the worksheet I use to help clients get clear on their beliefs. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Courageous Entrepreneur Show. Remember, you're worthy of and deserve all the success you dream of.